Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome, football fans, to this NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN remote broadcast event. We are on the road at the NFL Scouting Combine, live from Indianapolis. It's Pro Football Talk Live. Let's do this, Florio. From the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, our last day here, another five-hour extravaganza. Radio, three hours with the three-hour re-air if you join us on NBCSN, four live hours. And this has been a fun year because it's the first time we are in here broadcasting while the players are at the podium. Usually, the players are here after we have cleared out entirely or in the afternoons when we're gone for the day. They get in here 7 a.m., Yesterday, we had a revolving door of offensive linemen and running backs, and it was fun. And what I try to do with these guys, because this is not a pleasant experience for them generally. They get up early. They have to sit around and wait for their medical exams. And they sense that there are people from teams eyeballing them to see how they react when they are made to be patient. And then they get poked and prodded. And then they get asked a bunch of questions at these interviews, and the teams try to get them off their mark, try to rattle them a little bit, upset them a little bit so they can crack through the facade and get to the real guy. So when we're here, we're just trying to have a little fun. We got some of their high school highlights. They have a good time with that. And it is amazing how dominant these guys are at the high school level. And when they realize at the college level, it's not going to be that easy. And some of these guys, we talked about it, I think, yesterday with DeAndre Swift. When you get to college and you realize whoa, this is not going to be as easy as it was. Which direction do you go? Some guys may just crater and say, forget it. I'm not interested in this game if it's going to be hard. I'm only interested in it if it's easy. And so guys continue to fight through. And then you go on to the next level. And if the next level doesn't get any easier. So we try to make it easy and fun 
for them here. And we did have a good time yesterday, and we may we will have more of the same today because there will be more players coming through the big hall. And it's the quietest that it's been all week. It's kind of weird. There was a lot of activity Tuesday. It seemed like there was activity Wednesday, but 6.04 a.m. Eastern time, not a whole lot going on. But as the day unfolds, there will be. Oh, and by the way, my partner, Chris Sims, under the weather. Yesterday, I got to give him props for trying. I wouldn't have tried. I saw what he looked like, and I saw what he went through, and I wouldn't have even made the effort. He came over, tried to do it, got through a segment, almost had a moment that would have registered plenty of views on YouTube. A lot of views. All-timer. We cut to break just in time. He sprinted to the edge of the stage just in time. People evacuated the splash zone. It was like the front row at SeaWorld. So uh, I wish he was here today. He would have had fun yesterday with some of these guys. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll power through today. And it'll be easier with uh, the various folks that we hope to have joining us. And we've also got some interviews from earlier in the week that we'll share with you that have been posted at profootballtalk.com but haven't been on radio or TV yet. So, you know, at some point in the next couple of weeks, I may not have to talk about the CBA for another nine years. And I will not be upset about that. Here's the reality, and I mentioned this yesterday, but let me go ahead and mention it again today. I understand that a lot of the audience doesn't care. If I was a fan, I wouldn't care. But it's news, and it's something that you need to try to care about a little bit because it helps you understand where the relationship is between the league and the union and how this thing could all go haywire. See, I remember when I was a kid and I first started paying attention to the newspaper, other than the sports page and the comics. And I was always frustrated because every big story was written as if you've been paying attention to it all along. And it was so hard to get up to speed when you just kind of jump in. Like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about here, so I'm not even going to try to figure it out. So what we're trying to do is keep this on your radar screen so if it does go haywire, if it does go sideways, at least you will have the information available to you. And if you've been paying attention, you understand what's going on so you don't all of a sudden say, I didn't, nobody told me anything about this. Because this really is a fascinating time for the union and the league. Because the union has approved, without a recommendation, the CBA proposal to go to the players for a full vote. And what we have is some disagreement among players about whether or not they should support or oppose the CBA proposal. And this is the first time that we've had something like this play out in the NFL where social media has developed to the point where Guys understand the power of the platform and enough users are on it that it really does register when someone says something about it. And you've got players who are saying things about it who have been involved in the process. You've got players saying things about it who haven't been involved in the process. J.J. Watt last week, hard no on the CBA. Well, J.J., give us some details about why you don't like it. You never did. Russell Wilson, yesterday. Russell Wilson who has steered clear of any and all controversies for his entire career. He's shown us a little bit of a willingness to be candid this year, coming out and saying publicly that he'd like the team to pursue some superstars and he'd like the offense to 
give him a little more freedom, put the pedal to the metal in situations other than with the game on the line. He took to Twitter on Wednesday and said, the NBA and MLB are doing it right. Players come first. All players deserve the same. We should not rush the next 10 years for today's satisfaction. I vote no. Now, I love Russell Wilson. I don't know what the hell that means. We should not rush the next 10 years for today's satisfaction. What does that mean? Now, I think it means we shouldn't rush into a deal that ties us up for nine or 10 years because we want to get a deal done today so the NFL can parlay that into a gigantic TV contract. You know, maybe he's saying we should only do five years. See, here's the problem. These guys will do a drive-by opposition to the proposal, and they never really say what it is they're against. What is the basis for their opposition? Now, as opposed to a drive-by, Marquise Pouncey, the Steelers, did a wild-driving opposition video with more profanity than actual substance. And Marquise Pouncey writes a check during this video where he says that, hey, if we have a lockout or a strike and you need money, we'll help you out. It reminded me of Goodfellas when you go away to the can and they say they're going to help you and nobody helps your family while you're behind bars. It's easy to say it before it hits the fan. Once it hits the fan, everybody disappears. And really, how much money does Marquise Pouncey have in the bank and how much of it is he going to peel off to help guys pay for their expenses through a lockout? That's the other side of this too, and a lot of the players don't understand it. NFLPA leadership doesn't expect a lockout. They don't expect a lockout. What they expect to happen, if a deal doesn't get done and the current contract expires, they expect the league to impose the last best offer during negotiations as the rules and dare the players to strike. That's what they expect. Now at that point, what I think the players should do instead of strike is decertify the union and sue the NFL for antitrust based upon every single effort to coordinate workforce management. Because once you decertify the union, it's 32 different businesses in McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Arby's, KFC. It's 32 different fast food restaurants trying to coordinate their workforces. It's a blatant antitrust violation. You keep playing, you keep getting paid, but you're fighting the rules that the NFL has in place that restrict movement, that disseminate players as they enter the league via the draft. There are so many things that are antitrust violations that the NFL can get away with because they have a union of employees. And when you have that union, there's an exemption under the law from the antitrust restrictions. You take away the union, the dra- think about it, the draft. If you had 32 independent businesses and they came together and said, well, instead of hiring the people we want to hire, and the people who want to work for us, we are going to allocate the workforce one person at a time. And that person has no say over who they're going to work for. If it's one business, okay. One business with branches all over the place, okay. 32 separate businesses, not okay. That's one of the very strong components of the NFLPA's attack, if it comes to it. There's no reason to think it's going to come to it at this point, though. At this point, the belief is, when it's time to vote, half of the players who are in the union, dues-paying members, 1,900 of them, half of them plus one, will vote in favor of this. But the more that some of these players speak out, the more polarizing it can become. And somebody told me yesterday, and I hadn't thought of it this way, when guys like J.J. Watt and Russell Wilson speak out, 
it actually helps the union's cause because it galvanizes the guys who have rolled up their sleeves and put in the time. Guys who went to Miami for a lengthy meeting on a Thursday. Guys who went to L.A. the following week for a lengthy meeting to discuss the CBA. Guys who came here to Indianapolis and spent 10 hours working on this. They resent when somebody who has had nothing to do with it, who could be involved if he wanted to, Russell Wilson, if he wanted to be the Seattle Seahawks player rep, who's going to vote against him? J.J. Watt, you want to be the player rep? Who's going to vote against him? You want to be on the executive committee? Be on the executive committee. Run for president. The guys who have no involvement in it and don't understand exactly what has gone on at the bargaining table for the last 10 months, when those guys come out with a blanket no that they don't explain, that is the kind of thing that will make the guys who have put in the effort more determined to get the word out and explain exactly what's going on. And that was the gist of Ramon Foster's response to Marquise Pouncey. Now, I remember in 2011, the Steelers were unanimously opposed to the CBA. They voted against it with no one voting in favor of it. Well, this time around, there's at least going to be one yes vote and one no vote because Pouncey's against and Ramon Foster, who's lined up next to him for years in Pittsburgh, he's in favor of it. And I see... Guys like Foster resent this notion that, that the people running the union are just rushing without information, without a sufficient factual basis, without anything to get this done. That they're bowing to the will of the owners and they're accepting without scrutiny the owner's position. And let me just mention this on the way out. And I'm writing about this during the breaks in today's show at PFT. There is a disagreement on whether or not the TV money that the league expects to get in the next wave of deals will still be there a year from now. People in the highest levels of the NFLPA believe it may not be, and that now is the time to get this deal done. And you've got two deals to be concerned about, your deal with the league and your deals with the networks. And if your deal with the league gets a little bit better, but your deals with the networks get a lot worse, what have you gained? And I don't know what it'll be a year from now. And I don't think anybody knows what it'll be a year from now. But the ratings will drop this year due to the presidential election. And the economy may be in worse shape next year than it is this year. As of right now, my understanding is that now, even though it's premature and the deals haven't been negotiated, there's an expectation in league circles that the TV deals, when they are done, will generate per team an extra $100 million per year. That's an extra $3.2 billion in TV money over what they're already making. By just the natural progression, every time they do a deal, the deal gets better, and the 17th game, $3.2 billion. That's a minimum. That's a minimum. 100 million per team. And 48 and a half cents on the dollar will go to the players. That's a lot of money under this new CBA and these new TV deals. And is that enough? Is that something that you want to gamble with and trust that it will be the same? It's not going to be any higher in a year. The question is, will it be lower? And I don't know that you want to make that bet. 
And that's the essence of a true partnership. See, the problem is, and I got to take a break, but let me just say this. In a union environment, there needs to be tension between management and labor. But at the core, this is a partnership. And they're getting closer and closer to a true partnership here. 48 and a half cents is the closest they've ever been to a true partnership. And the TV deals, the money they bring in, and you're carving it up 51.5 and 48.5, that's the closest thing this sport has ever been to a true partnership. And the players, they have to set aside the acrimony of past CBAs. They have to get past their suspicion. And they just have to accept the fact this is as good as it's going to get. And it may not make sense to take the risk that it will stay the same a year from now in the hopes of making the deal with the owners a little bit better. We're going to take a break. When we return, is Dwayne Haskins on track to be this year's Josh Rosen? We'll explain when PFT Life continues right after this. Over 300 of the very best college football players have been invited to the NFL Scouting Combine. Let's see who Florio likes. This is Pro Football Talk Live in Indianapolis. Here's Mike. There's been a lot of talk this offseason about where Dwayne Haskins, the 15th overall pick in the 2019 draft, fits in the plans for the new-look Washington franchise, Ron Rivera. Told reporters on Wednesday everything is on the table with the second overall pick, and he made it clear that the team will be bringing quarterbacks Joe Burrow and Tua Tonga-Vailoa in for visits before the 2020 draft. Now, that assumes that they agree to show up. Not every player always says, sure, I will come. Here's what I think is going on, though. Apart from the fact that they're trying to get Dwayne Haskins to not be complacent, to not feel entitled, to not do anything other than bust his butt every day to make himself the best quarterback he can be. Here's the reality of holding a pick that may be extremely coveted. When you trade that pick, you're not trading the second pick in the draft. You're trading the player that that pick will be getting. And Washington has been on the other end of this. When they traded for the second pick in the draft in 2012, they weren't trading for the right to be the second overall selection. They were trading for Robert Griffin III. So, in order to best know what that pick is worth, and the days of blindly adhering to the Jimmy Johnson chart that was adjusted in 2011 because of the rookie wage scale. Those days are over. You don't blindly adhere to that. It's not the slot at this level. It's the player. So if someone is trading up to two to get Tua Tonga-Vailoa or Joe Burrow, you need to know what those guys are worth. So You kick the tires as if you were going to draft them. You do the work as if you are serious about them. You get an idea of who they are and what they can and can't do. So when it's time to negotiate with a team that wants to come up to number two, you can, in a very informed and persuasive fashion, make your case for why you want more. 
because you've done the work, you've rolled up your sleeves, you've applied the elbow grease, and you can say, well, we've seen this in Tua. We think he can do this. We think he can do that. We think he's more valuable than you do. Maybe we'll just draft him. That's the other key piece of leverage, and that may be why they're making Dwayne Haskins think that the job isn't his. Maybe they want everyone else to think the job isn't his. So you can plausibly sell the idea that we're going to take a quarterback. And really, is it a stretch? Every coach wants his own quarterback. It's possible that the Panthers looked at Dwayne Haskins last year and Ron Rivera didn't like what he saw. It's possible Ron Rivera doesn't want Dwayne Haskins to be the starter. He's not going to come out and say it. You, you lose all your leverage if you say it. You have to be subtle. You have to be smart. And part of being smart is kicking the tires on the guys who may be there. And they need to do the full workup on anyone who's going to be there at number two. Any of the guys who legitimately would be the number two pick. They need to do it with Chase Young. Now they may draft Chase Young. But you need to know what these guys are worth in the event that someone is trading up there. Because usually you know who the team is trading up to get. The one big exception, when the Bears traded up from number three to number two three years ago with the 49ers. The 49ers truly didn't know who the Bears were going to take. And I think I've asked some GMs about this. Is there an etiquette? Is it, is it okay to say, hey, if we do this trade, I, I want to know who you're taking? I'm sure that's happened from time to time. I'm sure sometimes you don't need to ask. But with that 49ers-Bears trade, I think the 49ers were so happy to get extra stuff to move down one spot. I'm confident they were still going to get the guy they wanted and had a backup if they lost the guy they wanted. Of course, their backup was Reuben Foster. Neither Solomon Thomas nor Reuben Foster worked out. They ended up getting both of them in round one. But that's one of the rare occasions, I think, where you do the deal and you don't know who the team is coming to get. If Washington trades that number two pick, they're going to know who that team is coming to get, and they're doing the work so they can properly negotiate a value, not for the pick, but for the player. we got more PFT Live coming at you right after this. Back, covering the most intense four-day job interview of all time. It's Pro Football Talk Live at the 2020 NFL Scouting Combine. Let's see who Florio likes. 34 minutes after the hour, Thursday edition, Pro Football Talk Live. Something that's happening today that was supposed to happen on Tuesday, and they're not delaying it any farther. I think this is a message by the league that they intend to stick to their calendar and they don't have flexibility to wait. They were willing to delay the opening of the two-week window for application of the franchise and transition tags by two days. It will open today, and it's opening under the rules of the current CBA, which means every team has a franchise tag and a transition tag available which is going to make things interesting for teams like the Titans and the Cowboys because they have guys they would like to tag, one with a franchise tag and one with a transition tag, but there's a chance that that tag is going to go away under the new CBA, and they're going to have to decide which one of those two to rescind the tag from. Now, here's the thing, and I make this point almost every year. You don't need a two-week window for application of the franchise and transition tag. You just don't need it. All you need is a deadline for applying the franchise and the transition tag. That's all you need. 
because it's a deadline-driven business. Now, there will be teams that apply the tags early because they want to send a message to anyone who may be thinking about tampering that they're wasting their time. I don't think it was a coincidence that the report came out late last week that the franchise and transition tag window openings were delaying by two days, and then here comes a report that the Ravens are expected to tag linebacker Matthew Judon. That's a message to players and teams and agents as to who will and won't be in play when it's time to come here to Indianapolis and tamper like crazy. But ultimately, the closing of the window matters. They got two weeks, and I think that is, as a practical matter, the real deadline two weeks from now. But remember, they can delay the closing of the window if they want to. See, the league can do whatever it wants to streamline this process and land the plane the way that it chooses. And if they need an extra day, they'll take an extra day. If they need an extra week, they'll take an extra week. There's a way to finesse whatever they want to do. And if they want to delay this process all the way until after the draft, they'll do it. There's too much money at stake, as I mentioned earlier. An extra $3.2 billion minimum in new TV money if they can get this deal done and pivot to the broadcast negotiations. One of the players who has spoken out against the CBA, one of the star players, the only star player who is involved in union management is Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback. As if I need to mention that. All I need to say is Aaron Rodgers. Unlike Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt, Rodgers is the Packers' player representative. And Rodgers posted a lengthy statement on Twitter yesterday explaining his position against the CBA. Now, there's one item in here that caught my attention. And even though he has written a lengthy explanation There's not a whole lot of specific detail. He takes the position that there was never going to be a 16-game season, that the owners were determined to have 17 games. Well, I mean, the players could have dug in and said 17 is a non-starter, so we're not even going to start the process of negotiating until you say we're not going to force you to play 17 games. The moment the players engage in negotiations based on 17 games, you're accepting a 17-game season. The players told the owners 18 games is a non-starter, and it was. There weren't negotiations on 18 games. They negotiated on 17. At a certain point, it takes on a life of its own. There will be 17 games. But what Rodgers complained about, and I'm told that he has been very vocal about this, off-season workouts. As the the 17th game gets added, players want reduced off-season workout time. Here's the quote from Rodgers' statement. There were many issues raised about the workplace, the workload, and the offseason program. Some have been addressed while others have not. With an extra game added to the schedule, added risk, and longer stretches before and after the bye week, we felt it was important to address adding more offseason recovery time. The ideas discussed would not add costs for teams. In fact, if anything, would lessen some of them. Now, I'm told that the... uh, the position Rodgers took during the negotiations was he wants no offseason at all. None. Nothing. No offseason program. And here's what's weird about this. And this is something that 
we lose sight of all the time. And, you know, the media gets chastised for, for not pointing this out when guys stay away from off-season work. You'll see fans and others in the media say, well, it's voluntary. Point out that it's voluntary. Well, we do point out that it's voluntary, but the thing is, guys show up. They always show up, so it's significant when someone stays away, even if it is voluntary. But, you know, why aren't the players taking that position in this context? Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to show up for anything. It's voluntary. If you want no off-season program, Aaron Rodgers, take no off-season program. And the fine for skipping the mandatory minicamp is so low in comparison to what Aaron Rodgers makes. Don't show up for anything. Say, I'll see you at training camp. What's he going to do? Lose his job? Now, I think that in the concept of a team sport, and you've got guys who are going to be there, and you've got guys who aren't going to risk their roster spots or their starting jobs because, you know, ultimately, guys will show up. Guys will show up who were undrafted, who were low-round draft picks, who are veterans trying to get a job. And if they're there and they're working and they're grinding, that's going to give them brownie points in the eyes of the coaches when training camp rolls around. And the guy who wasn't there, who maybe is due to make $5 million, as opposed to the guy who's under contract for $1 million, maybe the guy who make, who's making $1 million supplants the guy making five because the guy making five decided to treat the offseason program as voluntary. So I understand it's more complicated than that. But, I mean, hey, this is a union. This is a collaboration. Couldn't they all say we're not showing up? Again, there would be challenges because ultimately, and this is why a lockout and a strike won't work. Guys want to play football. Guys want to put themselves in position to play football. Guys want to put themselves in position to get paid big money to play football. I don't know what the NFL would look like with no off-season program. used to be no off-season program, but a ridiculously long training camp and six games in the preseason to get guys ready for the regular season games. Now, guys do a pretty good job of keeping themselves in shape, but it would be a different world with no off-season program, especially for teams with new coaches. When do you get your guys ready? When do you learn your new offense? So that continues to be an issue here, and I think one thing the NFLPA learned nine years ago, ask for stuff that doesn't cost the owners anything. That's when the owners may be willing, in order to get the deal done, to make more concessions. And I'm told there were some concessions made on Tuesday when the league and the union got together. Now, it wasn't anything that required the league to go back for another vote of the owners. So, as I said yesterday, it was not a significant concession that was made in any event. But the three things that that happened, and this came out yesterday and we wrote something about it, that $250,000 cap for the players who are getting an extra game check for the 17th game, that cap is gone now, and you don't have to negotiate. You just get the same game check you would have gotten under a 16-game season. So if you do to make a million dollars a game, you get a million dollars. You don't have to negotiate it. There's no questions asked. You don't get limited. None of that. Another concession that was made, and this one could be pretty significant because th- there was language in the prior proposal that – that would have limited the players' share of the total revenue to 48% until there's the addition of a 17th game and what they were calling a media kicker. There has to be a certain value that gets generated by that 17th game before the percentage goes to 48.5. Under this deal that was approved and negotiated on Tuesday, when they go to 17 games, the players automatically get 48.5 cents of the revenue, period. 
So that media kicker is gone. I don't know how much value that has, but they're automatically getting 48.5%. There's no other machinations or calculations that need to be done. So that benefits the players. And speaking to the point that was raised by Aaron Rodgers, there will be a joint study by the league and the union for reducing the offseason program during the seasons that result in 17 games. So they are going to take a closer look at cutting down on the, the offseason grind. I don't imagine it going away completely like Aaron Rodgers wants. But again, for a guy of his stature, just stay away. You don't have to be there. Why do you need the cover of no off-season program at all? For you, for a star, just don't go. Now, see, I think he's concerned that he would be criticized by fans, by media, if he didn't go. But you know what? If they play a 17-game season, I think, I think it's going to be easier for some of these guys to pull it off. The star players who don't need to be there, they'll be able to issue a statement on Twitter saying, now that we're playing a 17-game season and now that I'm at a point in my career where I don't need this and I spend plenty of time working out in the offseason, I'm going to choose not to be part of the offseason program, and I hope people understand the basis for my decision. I would have been there if we had 16 games, but since we're moving to 17 games, this is my choice. This is my prerogative. This is how I, how I will be proceeding for the remainder of my career. And it works as long as you are still good enough to unquestionably have a starting spot. The moment that they're on the fence about you and you stay away and your backup is there, that's when the foundation begins to be put in place for a shift from the 30 million plus starter to the five million or so backup because a lot of money can be saved a lot of cap space can be created once you develop the confidence that the backup can get the job done and once you become exasperated with the refusal of the starter to be there all right uh, the chargers decided to move on from philip rivers there's been plenty of speculation as to where he may end up moving his family let's just say there's a chance indianapolis is going to be a little more crowded next year at this time we'll discuss that next on pft live They all want to get drafted, but not all of them will. We're back live at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. It's Pro Football Talk Live with Mike Florio. 51 minutes after the hour, it's Pro Football Talk Live. NBC Sports Radio heading over to NBCSN here in just a matter of minutes. Before we do that, though, Philip Rivers. Where will he land next? Well, there has been some speculation for the past few weeks that he will become a member of the Indianapolis Colts. It was his former teammate, Melvin Gordon, who pointed out that Nick Sirianni, the Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator, was in San Diego slash L.A. with the Chargers previously. So there's that relationship. Now, as Sims and I discussed the other day, sometimes the prior relationship isn't a good thing. We just always assume, well, these two guys worked together before. They'll work together again. Sometimes two guys have worked together, and their response to that is, we will never do it again. But reportedly, according to Ian Rappaport the NFL, the Colts have interest in Phillip Rivers. Now, the Colts can't say they have interest in Phillip Rivers. Then again, Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers coach, said earlier this week that 
if they're not keeping Jameis Winston, he's going to call Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers. And, and that underscores the land rush that we're ultimately going to see for some of these guys. And that's why the land rush needs to start now. And that's why when agents meet with teams this week at the scouting combine, there will be discussions about the teams that are interested in the available free agent quarterbacks. And there'll be discussions about how much they're going to pay. By the time we get to March 16, players will know, agents will know, teams will know who's in play. And we had Frank Reich with us yesterday here on set. He believes in Jacoby Brissett. And Frank Reich made it clear he is a very, very close partner with Chris Ballard when it comes to figuring out who the players on the team are going to be. But the jury is still out on Brissett. And the question you have to ask yourself if you're the Colts, what is the ceiling for Jacoby Brissett? Because they were 5-2 and two last year until Brissett injured his knee. And he never was really the same after that. And it's unclear whether he would have been a better player without the knee injury. It's unclear whether or not his performance down the stretch was a product of the knee injury. But there was a much different vibe about Jacoby Brissett at the end of the season than there was at the beginning. And here's the reality. And we can never overlook this, especially with a team like the Colts. You have an owner who is very demanding. You have an owner who still holds out hope of winning three Super Bowls in a row. He mentioned that again during his press conference on Sunday. He wants to win three in a row because he's got this weird definition that you can only be the greatest team of all time, and that title will never be applicable to anyone, specifically not the Patriots, until someone wins three in a row because no one, including the Patriots, has won three in a row. So Jim Irsay wants to win three in a row. And the thing is... If you have another bad season, will Jim Irsay decide there's somebody else out there who should be coaching the team, running the team, etc., and that may cause you to skew in the direction of a more proven commodity like Philip Rivers, even though he's 38 and he's made it clear he's got a maximum of two more seasons before he is done. So I will not be surprised if Philip Rivers is playing here in Indianapolis, if he's moving his ever-growing family here to Indiana, and that the Colts may indeed be better than they were in 2019 with Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer at quarterback with Phillip Rivers. And you know what? If they're interested in Phillip Rivers, if, you, if you're going to call Phillip Rivers, who's 38 and has two more years max, don't you at least, call, at least call Tom Brady? Don't you at least do that? How do you not at least reach out and get an idea of what it's going to take to get him? The Browns are going to be looking for a new backup quarterback. Drew Stanton is becoming a free agent. Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer suggests that Case Keenum is on the team uh, radar screen. And that makes sense because Kevin Stefanski has worked with Case Keenum in Minnesota. And Case Keenum in Minnesota that one year, 2017, was very good. It was the best year of his career. 11-3 as a starter. Beats some teams with very good quarterbacks. Got the team to the NFC Championship game. Stefanski was the quarterback's coach. Keenum had a career-best 98.3 passer rating, 22 touchdowns and seven picks working with Kevin Stefanski. So he becomes the backup if he joins the Cleveland Browns to Baker Mayfield. And you have to wonder how much pressure they want the backup to put on Baker Mayfield. There's two different mindsets for a backup quarterback. One is, I'm here 
to be nothing but the number two option to get the starter ready to play, and that's it. I have no aspiration to take over. Then there's the backup who comes in and says, screw this, I'm trying to win the job. I want to be the guy. And I may lose the competition, but in my mind, it is a competition. I'm not conceding anything to anyone. So, sorry, Baker, but I want to get paid, and I want to play, and I want to prove myself. And, and it'll be interesting to see the Browns explain their approach to this because maybe they want someone to really light a fire under Baker Mayfield. Maybe they sense he got a little complacent last year. You know, something went wrong with Mayfield. And they have to be ready this year in the event something continues to go wrong with Mayfield. Because it's entirely possible Mayfield prematurely hit his ceiling. He regressed. And that's that. And you got to find somebody else to come in and get the job done. We just don't know at this point. We saw one Baker Mayfield in 2018. We saw a very different Baker Mayfield in 2019. And if we see the same Mayfield in 2020 that we saw last year, you got to be ready with something else. And given the relationship between Stefanski and Keenum, you can't rule out anything. Look, have we not learned in this league? You can't rule out anything. We never know what's going to happen. Injury, ineffectiveness, surprise decisions. Remember when Ryan Tannehill became a member of the Titans and Sims and I suggested that Tannehill could end up being the starter and people were like, oh, Tannehill st- Ryan Tannehill stinks. He won't be the starter. You're crazy. Fake news. And then Tannehill's the starter by week six. And frankly, frankly, They should have made him the starter early. We pressed Mike Vrabel on that point the other day. When did you first have an inkling that Tannehill should play? And he danced around. I think he had that inkling well before Tannehill ended up on the field. All right, we got two more hours of PFT Live on radio, four hours on NBCSN. We'll be back right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.